Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we continue making our way through 1 Timothy. A faithful minister, actually this is the ninth message in the series, and specifically biblical instruction concerning wealth and materialism. Say, well, this ought to be interesting, right? What does the Bible have to say about wealth and materialism? As if we haven't seen that in the passage in the last few weeks. And uh, But yet it is almost entirely different perspective of what we've already talked about. Uh, no doubt most of us in this room would like to have more money, right? If anybody not part of that category, just raise your hand. You're like, you're lying. Um, no, I'm just kidding you. But there's a natural innate desire in most of us to have more. To And we can justify it. We can rationalize it. We can excuse it. We can say, well, if I had it, I would do this with it, and it would benefit these people, and they would be so, you know, so so much rejoicing if I could help them. And we got, I mean, we could put all kinds of spins on it, right? But we all just want more. But what does God's word have to say about that? This passage is addressing those who are rich already, and uh, and how they should view their wealth. So uh, we're going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we we'll look at what God's word has to say about those who are rich. Not those who want to be rich, not those who uh, may have been rich, but those who are rich. And we'll see, first of all, if you fall into that category or not. So uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for, Lord, just the fellowship we've already had, uh, Lord, with one brother or sister and another, Lord. And, Lord, being able to walk into this auditorium and to sing songs and to worship you and to think about the Christmas season, Lord, where you left the splendor of heaven came down flesh incarnate to be born as a baby, to grow up as a child, as a man, to take on the sins of the world, to offer salvation to all of us, Lord. And I ask, God, that you would just work in our hearts this morning, draw closer to you. And uh, so, Lord, Lord, I pray that you start with me, Lord, and help me to understand this text that I'm speaking on today, Lord, that I would accurately and fairly, Lord, teach what it means, Lord. And I pray that you work in all of our hearts, Lord, to draw closer to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to read just verses 17 through 19. So if you would follow along as I look at these several verses. It says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age, that means this time frame that you're living in, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. You know, as I, I started reviewing this passage uh, a couple weeks ago in, in preparation for this week, you know, there's one glooming question that keeps coming to my mind. You know, sometimes God gives us instruction in His Word, and there are key principles in His Word, but the question comes along, is like, what does this mean? So the first question that comes to my mind, it says, those who are rich, what's the definition of rich? Because one definition of rich to one person may be completely different from the definition of rich to someone else. I mean, I can imagine somebody who's a millionaire saying, well, I'm not rich. Look at Bill Gates. He's worth billions. I mean, come on, really? But there are those that have that mentality that other people, because they have more, well, they're rich, but I'm not. So really, the question kept coming to mind, well, how do you define rich? What What, what is the... What does that mean? Because it means so many different things to so many different people. So that's where I like the Greek language a little bit, and I know most of us don't give a flying flip about that, but it does give definition to what it means. So let me kind of give you the two aspects of what it means to be rich, 
And I think we're going to be able to find out that most every one of us in this room can put ourselves in this category. I think I'm fairly safe to say that. So if you would, follow along as I kind of give you these definitions. So there's two aspects of being rich in the original language. The first one is wealthy, abounding in material resources, abundantly supplied. Now you think about that just for a moment. Uh, you may say, well, wealthy is almost synonymous with rich. So what does it mean to be wealthy? Well, I'm glad God didn't just like leave it right there. He kind of went a little bit further. So it has these other ideas. Abounding in material resources. Now let me ask you a question. Is there a one of us in this auditorium this morning that, are, that is not abounding in material things? I mean, how many of us has, well, maybe you don't want to raise your hand, but a closet full of clothes that you're constantly adding to? You have abundant resources. How many of you have more than two or three or four or five or a dozen pairs of shoes? You are abounding in resources. How many of you have a car? You are abounding in resources. How many of you slept in a nice bed with warm clothes or with warm pajamas and and warm blankets in a in a house heated with wood or fire or 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 or, or oil or, or gas furnace? How, how, How many of you are not abounding in material resources? Wow. And then it goes on to say just one more thing. Uh, It has the idea of being abundantly supplied. Now, I've been in some of your homes. Not all of them, but I've been in a lot of them. And some of you have a storage room. The kids are gone. And this is where I keep all the extras because they were on sale. I mean, I don't need 27 rolls of toilet paper, but I got them because they was on sale this week. I don't need three bottles of Clorox, but they was on sale this week. I don't need 27 cans of soup, but they was on sale this week. We are abundantly supplied, are we not? So, fill in the blank, are you the rich that he's talking about according to the original language definition? Yep. But here's the interesting thing about this definition. There are two aspects of it. It doesn't just contain ideas about material wealth. It has the idea of our spiritual wealth as well. And this is the interesting thing. It means to be abounding in Christian values and eternal possessions. I thought about that long and hard. If we've grown up in church, have been a part of a church, have been taught by anybody in church for any amount of time, you have been given Christian values based on God's Word. Correct or incorrect? Yep. So we have been taught what, the God, what God's Word has for us concerning our walk with Jesus Christ, our fellowship with God the Father. You've been given Christian values that you can apply to your heart and your life, but it doesn't stop there. It has also the idea of eternal possession. What is our greatest eternal possession that makes us wealthy? Thank you! Thank you! We have salvation! We have eternal possession! So when he's talking about those that are rich in this present age, he is, yes, talking about those of us who are abounding in possessions and material things, but he's also talking about those of us who have Christian value and eternal possession. When I, you know, the second part is not something I've heard a lot growing up, and I've been in church my entire life. I've not been talking about, I've not been taught that second aspect of it until I studied it for myself. But the reality is both sides of this dimension is, is, is recognized. So it has the idea of that almost anybody under the influence of the Word of God at any time is really, if we're honest with ourselves, rich. Now, having that definition of what is rich, 
So it's not the idea of whether you're a hundredaire, a thousandaire, a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever. It's the idea of, do I have material resources? Do I have uh, eternal possessions? If the answer is yes in any way, you are rich. And let me just say this. If you've ever had the privilege of going to a third world country, I mean, think about it. I mean, sometimes we don't have to go beyond our borders. I've been in reservation, Indian reservations across Canada, in Dryden, Ontario, that they had absolutely nothing. I've been in Mexico where they're living in cardboard boxes and they have nothing. I've seen parts of India where they're living in tarped off little pieces of wood rooms. They have nothing. And any one of us, compared to any one of those, are multi-billionaires in comparison. We have so much. But put that definition now into the text as I read it again, the first verse in verse 17 there. Instruct those of us who are rich, whether it be with material goods, or supplies, or Christian values, or an eternal possession, instruct those who are rich in this world, in this present age that we live in, don't be arrogant to set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So he says, you're not to be arrogant about it. We say, well, the pastor, that's really easy. I don't walk around saying, well, look what I got and look what you got. No comparison. I'm better than you. We don't necessarily do that. Maybe. Let's go on a little bit further here. So in this passage, he gives us two things to not do and three things to do. So two don'ts and three do's. Let me give you the don'ts first. Number one, don't be arrogant. Verse 17, as we just read. So the idea behind arrogant here is haughty, proud, or including of others' wealth. In other words, it also has the idea not just my own, but you know, people that we may know and love. And we're arrogant about them and because they're part of our family. They're part of our name. They're because they're part of who we associate and fellowship with. And we're, we're proud, we're arrogant, we're haughty about what other people have in comparison to what others may not have. It may be an idea of this. Hey, in my church, we have really upper middle class. We all have nice cars. We all have nice homes. We all have this, that, and fill in the blank. But that church down the road, they don't have much. I mean, they're really, boy, they're the down and outers. They just don't have a lot of income over there. So it may not even just be personal. It's the group that we're a part of as well. It says if you have in either of these two areas, you're not to be arrogant about it. So he says don't be arrogant. Um, let me give you a couple of verses to go along with this one. So the first one is found in Psalm chapter 23. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Psalms chapter 23. Yeah, uh, Proverbs 23, I'm sorry. Proverbs 23. And it's probably up on the board waiting for me. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. It says this, as soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. For it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. It's talking about wealth. Things. You know, people who put their hope, their trust, their confidence in the things that they have. So he tells us in our text there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Why? Because it can be gone as soon as you got it. 
It's amazing how in the last two, three years, and it's been on for ten years, but in the last two, three years, how much identity theft has really come on the scene. In fact, um, the normal or the, the, the newest form of identity theft is people actually going online and finding titles to people's homes and actually stealing them. That's a, that's a quite prevalent thing now. Uh, a lot of people are having their homes stolen from, out, from underneath them because they have the valid paperwork because title companies and every company under the sun uses the internet for all their transfer work. So people are hacking in, they're getting, I, I don't know about you, but in the last three years we've had our credit, our, our credit cards stolen three or four times. I mean, it's just, it's almost a normal occurrence. If you buy anything online, you're at jeopardy. But it happens. Uh, my wife, you know, one night we, you know, somebody broke into the car here a year ago, or was it two years ago now? They broke into the car, took her wallet, and I don't know about you, but our credit cards have our pictures on them. They're taking, you know, me and my wife smiling together, all cute, with a beautiful sunset on Kinesis Lake, right on the front card of our debit card. So every time we go somewhere, you know, for the most part, they say, oh, that's such a cute picture. What bank are you with? I want to do that. You know, so they you know, like our little business card, or our little debit card, and then all of a sudden somebody steals it, and they go in there and have $300 worth of video game stuff at Target. Well, did you see the picture on the front? Well, yeah. Does it look anything like us? No. It happens all the time. Interesting, isn't it? But people put their wealth in what they think is never going to change. Their house, their IRAs, their retirement plans. their things that they think are safe. And he says very clearly, as soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. It's gone. None of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. None of us has a guarantee that anything we have is going to last forever. And my heart goes out to this a little bit. I've met people who in their retirement years retired with a substantial amount in the bank. Based on their year in dividends, based on what the stock markets do, they're going to be able to survive those years. And it takes a dump and they lose. Or what doesn't change is the insurance for medical needs go up, right? You know, I never really realized this until about 10 years ago when I have people in my church who are struggling financially. And it's because when they retired, they had X amount of dollars per month to live on. But then all of a sudden they have to go on this $70 a month antibiotic, or I mean medication. And next thing you know, it's just nickel and dimed away and it's a struggle. That's real. Which once again reminds all of us that we can't put our hope on what we see. It has to be on what we don't see, which is God. The thing that won't disappear. The thing that won't go away. So the first one is don't be arrogant. And Proverbs 23 reminds us of that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse 18. 18 says this, But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm His covenant He swore to your fathers as it is today. Where does our wealth come from? God. He's the one that gives you the power to get it. So if you're sitting here this morning and you have an abundant supply of stuff and things and storage rooms full of extra toilet paper and you name it, God gave you the ability to do that. God did. No one else. 
That wasn't your skill. That wasn't your ability. That wasn't your talent. It wasn't your personality that allowed you to excel in sales or anything else. It was God. We've been talking about this in our men's group at various times about living a generous life. A generous life. A life of generosity. And he said there's three questions, uh, as I've learned over the years, and watching this particular ministry that teaches generosity as a way of life. Three questions that come to mind. Number one, I wonder what I should do with my money. Isn't that a good question? I mean, shouldn't every one of us in this room ask that question at some point in our lives? I wonder what I should do with my money. I mean, if you've got some money, we should ask. I mean, we shouldn't just blow it, right? Isn't that a great question? Yeah. But see, there's a better question. I wonder what I should do with God's money. See, that goes from it being mine to it being God's. And that's the progression that God wants us to take. That's a step forward that He wants us to go on. So it goes from, I wonder what I should do with my money to, I wonder what I should do with God's money. But you know what doesn't stop there? There's a better question. And it's the question that we all need to get to. It's the third question, which is this. I wonder what God wants me to do with His money. That totally transfers the ownership of everything that I have, including my material wealth and my financial assets, to it being saying it's God's stuff, it's God's money, and I need to treat it as a steward versus something that I think I have the right to control. I wonder what God wants me to do with His money. That says, God, I surrender to You. But there's another verse. In Psalm chapter 52, in verse 7. Psalm 52, verse 7 says this, Here is the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. Wow. Hmm. As you read through all this, it talks about a man who is not having his perspective on God. Verse 1 says, Why boast about evil, you hero? God's faithful love is constant. Like a sharpened razor, your tongue devises destruction, working treacherously. You love evil instead of good, lying instead of speaking truthfully. You love any words that destroy your treacherous tongue. This is why God will bring you down forever. He will take you, ripping you out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Think about that, he says. Selah. The righteous will see and fear, and they will derisively say about that hero, here is the man who would not make God his refuge. What's he saying? When I trust in my own stuff, my own wealth, my own material goods, my own way of doing things, more than I'm willing to trust in God, it's only going to lead to destruction in the end. So he says, be careful. Be wise. Let me bring up another point here just for a moment. And I think there's a good point being made regarding the point I'm going to make in, in the book of Luke. I'll, I'll have you turn there in just a moment. I'm not giving you the reference yet. There is a big difference between being an owner and being a steward. There's differences between ownership and stewardship. Let me give you some ideas here. If I own it, it's mine. If I'm a steward, it's not mine. If it's mine and I own it, I can treat it however I want. If I want to break it in half, fine. If I want to take a sledgehammer to it, fine. It's mine. I own it. If it's someone else's, I take care of it with great pride because it doesn't belong to me. So, here's the issue. 
if we say as God's child that everything I have is His, guess whose it's not? Mine. It's not mine. You say, well, that duh. Right. But really think about this. If everything I have is His, I don't own it. I'm just a steward of it. You see, let me give you an example of how I've mixed these two up before. In a good context. How many love our church? All right. Always. We love our church. Beautiful building. Take care of it. I'm glad. You know, there's a lot of churches that would love to have a nice facility like we've got. And they're meeting in a tent. Not really, but a storage room, a a rented place in a mall or whatever. They'd love to have a facility like we have. God has blessed us. But we get in trouble when we say it's mine. It's my building. So remember the flood we had a couple years ago? The first couple days it was mine. The first couple days it was mine. I wanted to take the ownership of it, fix it, but guess what I couldn't do? Fix it. And I remember as if it was 30 seconds ago. I remember going downstairs and I'm thinking, man, we were up all night vacuuming. Water just keeps coming in. I can't make it stop. And I'm frustrated. Not that that was a bad thing to want to be concerned about. But I was treating it like, it's mine. If I remember day three specifically. Day three, I went downstairs, and guess what it did downstairs? It stunk to high heaven down there. It did. Those of you that were here a couple days after the flood, it reeked downstairs. I mean, it, it literally stunk. It did not take long for mold to start wanting to come in in, in the air and in the surface. And, and I remember very distinctly, like it happened 30 seconds ago, I said, Okay, God, it's your building. You want it to stink? Let it stink. You want it fixed? Then fix it. I don't care. And I turned around and walked upstairs. I had to say, God, it's yours. Because in my flesh, I can't fix this. I wanted to fix it. And it's not a bad thing to want to fix a building that is in disrepair. But we have to realize whose this is. Right? That makes sense? So put that in your context. Your house. Your car. For five weeks, my truck sat out there. And my wife says, I can't believe how calm you are about this. I couldn't either. <laughs> I couldn't either. I was there going, this oh, will get fixed when it gets fixed. I don't know. I mean, it's, in, it's, it's God's. If he wants to fix it, he can fix it. If he doesn't, that's fine. It's whatever. It's, it's his. You know, God provided, and I'm thankful for that. But it's his. If, if stuff is ours, then we get all uptight about it. If it's his, then it's, he can do with it what he wants. So it's the difference between ownership and stewardship. Everything that I have is because of God allowing me to have it. And He says, just take care of it for me. Do with it what I would have you to do with it. Man, I can remember, as I've said before, vehicles. Man, I had the cleanest grocery getter out there, man. I had a Ford Aerostar. I remember those little astronaut units. I mean, biggest piece of junk on the face of God's earth. I hated that thing. In fact, Jake, when he was a baby, we bought this thing from a guy who was a state rep for Indiana Baptist. And Jake gets in the car with this other guy who sold it to us. He goes, my dad says Aerostars are pieces of junk. (laughs) Thanks for telling that to the guy that we just bought this from. (laughs) Thank you. I hated that thing. But it was the cleanest, nicest looking one around. I I got the Q-tips out every Saturday in the dashboard and in the, you know, 
And I remember at a youth activity, we were out in our van, and the kid was jumping on the back. You know, you know, you know the Aerostars had spoilers on them? Anybody know what a spoiler is? My Aerostar had, or whatever it was, had a, had a, had a spoiler on the back. And the kid was bouncing on the back of my van like this. And I'm like, boom, ripped the, ripped the spoiler off. And I just smiled because I didn't want to show that I wanted to rip his head off. Um, but the things that you have, everything that you have, will at some point or another be put to a test. And how you respond to that test will determine whether or not it's yours or God's. Does that make sense? Everything that you have will be put to a test at one point or another. And how you respond will determine whether it's yours or God's. Because God is the one that gives and takes away, according to Job, right? He said, naked I came out. I have nothing when I came out here. And he goes, I'm not going back to, back to dust with nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Still, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Everything that we have is because He has allowed us to have it. And how we respond to that will really give indication of whether or not it's still His or ours. So, ownership versus stewardship. In fact, is it possible, and the question was raised, is it possible to be poor in this life, yet rich in the next? Absolutely. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19, here's the rich man in Lazarus. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. I mean, can you imagine? I, I can't fathom this. I can't imagine having so, having so little of anything that I would want to actually have the crumbs that would be left over from somebody else's meal. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you look over at another table and somebody is like eating like a third of what came out and it's just going to trash? And you think to myself, what a waste of money. Why, why, did, I even, why did you even bother with that? But it happens every day in, in all kinds of restaurants all across America because we have so much we don't care about that little bit. But can you imagine saying, I'd love just to have that leftover. The crumbs. Take the Bible literally. I'd like to have the leftovers. The, the stuff that you don't even care about. He had nothing of the material wealth of the world. But rather than getting to the rich man's table, the dogs licked his sores. And one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham long away off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Can you imagine just wanting to stick your finger in a glass of water and whatever drip would come off that to say, I long for that little drip? Let that sink in for a minute. Put that back into the definition of being rich. Something you're not to be arrogant about, but something that you're to give away. The drip. And he says, Son, Abraham said, Remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in, an ag in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to, to you cannot. 
and neither can those from there cross over to us. And he begins the process of begging, and it's no good. You have one opportunity called life to make an impact. One. And it's possible to not have much of this world's good, but to have so much more in the life to come. What are you doing with what you've got? But not only that, it is possible to honor God with what we have now and in the life to come. And there's an example of this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So if you would turn over to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read beginning with verse uh, 19. Verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Just stop right there for a minute. What does God's Word tell us not to do? Store up. And yet that's exactly what our world tells us to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still in the flesh. I'm not super pious, incredibly spiritual pastor. I'd love to have more. I'm just going to say it. Right? All of us would. But how much is enough? Just a little bit more. How much is enough? I mean, you get to this point, and I, I, I can remember, I was talking to my wife, I can remember when we made $9,000 a year teaching in a Christian school. I wanted more then, just like I want more now, and I make triple that. Quadruple that. When do we ever get satisfied? How much is enough, Really? Literally, how much is enough? He says, don't store up as if we're never going to die. As if we're never going to... The problem with storing up is that we don't trust God for the present. And I think some of us have lost sight of what it means to trust God day by day when we have a pantry full of food. I put myself there sometimes. So he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But store up, verse 20, for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You kind of flip that around as well. Where your heart is, there is your treasure, right? Two, they both work. So what are you investing in? You and God know that answer, I don't. What are you investing in? What gets the bulk of your material wealth? And remember, treasure is not just your money. There's time. There's talents. Because God has given you the ability to be steward of a lot of different things. And I'm saying, who gets the bulk of your time, treasure, talents? God or self? Think about it. And the slice of pie, the pie of life, and all the different slices that are there, there's, there's my hobbies, and there's my church, and there's my job, and there's my, you know, whatever. Fill, fill in all the slices that are in your pie. How much does God get of any of it? He's very clear here. Where your heart is, your treasure will follow that. And where your treasure is, there will be your heart as well. So he goes on and says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is, will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Because no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. We can't live for the things of the world and for the things of God at the same time. But we can live for the things of God and let these other things filter through it and become stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But you can't serve both. So it becomes very clear. What is it that we are living for? So the first don't is don't be arrogant concerning what God has given to you. Number two, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of this wealth. That's what he also says in our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Instruct those who are rich to be pre- in this present age not to be arrogant. So there's the first don't. Don't be arrogant. Or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. In other words, we're to live trusting in God. In Luke chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 12, I want to read just a couple of verses beginning with verse 13. Verse 13 says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell, me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus says, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. That, is that in line or in sync with what our world teaches us right now? No, certainly not. It's not in what we have or what we possess and what we're going to get. So he goes on to say this. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store up my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and, and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Drink and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it it is with one who stores up the treasure for himself and not rich towards God. I mean, isn't that just exactly in line with what he said in the other gospel? Don't store up. Don't act as if you're never going to die. Don't act as if you're just, you know, you need more and more and more and more. If you die, where is it going to go anyway? So he makes it very clear. Don't be arrogant. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty that could be gone at any time. And it may not be that the wealth is gone. You may be gone. Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. All of us are going to die and stand before God if the Lord tarries, right? So what is our hope? What is our position on these things? But then he gives us three do's, and I'll make this quick. Number one, back in our text in 1 Timothy 6, he says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of God or wealth, but on God. So do set your hope on the living God. Where's our hope? If we don't have anything else, we have hope in God. That's where our hope is to be. Because if everything in this life is all of a sudden gone, if it just all of a sudden disappears, or we have no longer have access to it, what do we have? We have God. And that's where it should be to begin with. So he says, put your hope on the living God. And then number two, do enjoy what God gives you. Don't worry about what you don't have. Enjoy what you do have. 
Look at verse 18. Or at the end of verse 17. Who richly provides us with all things to what? Enjoy. We've said this many times. You've heard it a thousand times in your lifetime. Is it wrong to have wealth? No. Is it a good thing? Yeah. When does it become wrong? When it has us. When it controls us. I can remember in different places I've lived, and I remember the neighbors around us having two and three and four houses. And I can remember a couple of them having many you know, acres and this and that and the other thing and just nonstop boats and you name it. They got all of it in Bible Beach. But here's where it gets wrong. I can't go to church because I'm way enjoying it every Sunday. Is it wrong to take a vacation? No. Is it wrong to walk away from God? Because you're enjoying everything else and not giving God any commitment to, to Him? No, yeah. We get it, right? But what point of life do we say, we need to put this back into perspective, back into balance, and say, everything I have is His. He gave it to me to enjoy it, but not at the expense of turning our back on Him who allowed us to have it. Right? I can remember inviting people to church. Now I'm going to the cabin this weekend. Well, you do that every weekend throughout the entire year. That's when the cabin has you and you, not the cabin. Is that in there? Yeah, it is. Because we're not to be controlled and brought underneath the power of anything, according to 1 Corinthians. If my whole being and my commitment and my desires and everything that I do is wrapped in what I do rather than what God is doing through me, there's a problem. So we need to guard that. But we are to enjoy what He gives us. Enjoy it. That's why He gave it to you. Give you all things to richly enjoy. You got a good vehicle? Praise God for it. You got a nice home? Thank God for it. You got friends? Thank God for them. You have a bank account? Thank God for it. But remember, everything comes from Him. It belongs to Him. And we're to be a steward of it. We're to practice that number three question. I wonder what God wants me to do with his money. And then number three, from verse 18 in our text, he also says this, instruct them to do what is good. Well, what does it mean to do what is good? Because once again, like what is what does it mean to be rich? Everyone has an idea of what is doing good. <clears throat> well, he gives us three things. Number one, to be rich in good works. Remember, our wealth is not just in finances. It's not just in material wealth. It's also in our livelihood. It's also with our talents, our treasures. So he says to be rich in good works. What is a good work? Are you involved with them? Do you help people? Do you give of your time, talents, treasures to benefit others? Say, Pastor, I don't have time. i got enough stuff going on in my own life. I just don't have... I just, I just can't do that right now. Well, then reprioritize. Reprioritize. Because if you're too busy to serve God, you're too busy. And you need to cut some things out and implement some other things. Some of us live with the idea that if I don't do and get involved and do this thing, someone else would take care of it. Yeah, and you miss the blessing, and you might be incorrect in that someone else may not do it. God may want you to get involved. That's why He's working on your conscience. That's why He's pricking your brain right now. Not to cast it off and put it off on someone else to do it, but for you to take a step and do it. If you are rich, which all of us have determined that we are, according to the text and the definition given, 
What are you doing with it? Are you being rich in good works? Then what is good is also to be generous. To be generous. Are you a generous person? Are you a generous person? When's the last time you did something for someone? Just because? Not expecting anything in return. Not because they're going to pay you for it. Not because you know you feel sorry for them. But just because you want to be kind. You know what kindness costs? Say it, Don. Nothing. Kindness doesn't cost you a penny. Who do you show kindness to? Because you're so rich. And you have the ability to help. You know there's a need, but eh, someone else take care of it. Eh, no big deal. No skin off my back. If you have, and you do, are you being generous? And then the third idea here is to be willing to share. Share. Say, this is mine. I worked for it. I put the time in. I, I, got, I got the backache to prove it. My legs are sore. It's mine. Be careful. Because as the eagle flies to it, it disappears when he lands at it. Everything we have could be gone in a heartbeat. And it may be your heartbeat that's gone so you don't get to enjoy it. How often has that happened? Someone works their entire life to save up for that moment of retirement and all of a sudden, boom, gone. Don't get to enjoy it. Either for themselves or for others. That happens every day. People wake up and have no expectation that they're going to get in an accident. No expectation that they're going to be killed in one way or another. And yet they're ushered out into eternity. In our text, he says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. He decides or, or directs us what it means to be good with our finances and our stuff. So let me ask you this question. What could God use you to do if you were to be rich in good works, if you were to choose to be generous and choose to share? What might God do through you with his stuff? But you get the blessing of distributing it for him. What might God do? I'm convinced 100% that God Everything God wants to do in and through this church can be accomplished through this church. I believe that. I 100% believe that. That if there's a desire that God wants to do something in this church, He can fund it through this church. I believe that. Someone told me years ago that in every church there are those who, you don't know they have it, but they have it. And they're just holding on to it, making everybody else wonder and guess who's going to take care of it. But I've just learned over the years that what God orders, He pays for. And there are those within this church that could write a check. I believe that with all my heart. I don't. And by the way, Paul doesn't tell me who gives what, and I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know. But I'm 100% convinced that if God wants to do something through this church, He'll fund it through this church. Amen? Okay, all of you that said Amen.
There you go. But to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be willing to share. That's what it means to do good. And then, verse 19, he gives us a reason why. In verse 19, let me just read it. It says this. Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. What is life? See, many of us live with the idea that all that life has to offer is right here and right now. Right? It's all about the here and now. It's all about what we get to go through right now. There is nothing in this life that can compare to what is going to come. Nothing. Nothing. We're to have a good foundation. We're to take hold of what is truly life. One more passage, Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. In verse 1. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, Well, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So when I am removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. He says, I don't know about this. It doesn't sound good. I'm not not very much of a hard laborer. I'm not very good at construction. I'm not an engineer. I'm not this. I'm not that. Ah, I got it. I got it. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measure of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Next, he said another. How much do you owe? A hundred measure of wheat, he said. Well, take your invoice, he told him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the children of his age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. You ever heard that before? Uh oh. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's the other gospel context of it all. Are you faithful with what you've been given? You know, when people receive a large sum of money, and sometimes it's referred to as a windfall, what you do with the windfall really determines what your character is. You see, some people, they receive a windfall, whether it's $500 or $100 or $5,000, and they go out and have fun. Going on a trip, going to go blow it on a party, going to get some new shoes. They blow it. And it really reveals the character. Other people receive a windfall and they use it to better their family. They invest it. They pay off debt. They somehow use it to get ahead 
as a down payment for a home, whatever. What is it you do with your wealth, your income, your possessions? Have we gotten to the place where I wonder what God wants me to do with his things? I wonder how God wants me to use what he's entrusted to me. I wonder how I can be a better steward of what has been entrusted to me. And in doing so, have I been rich in good works? Have I been generous? And am I willing to share what God has blessed me with? That's what it comes down to. It's not about getting all we can, although that would be wonderful. In our flesh, we'd like, man, how much is enough? Not enough. In my flesh, a little bit more is better, right? Let's be honest. But in the Spirit, God says, you're not to store up. Show me that you've been faithful with what I've given you, then I'll bless you with more. Show me that you, I can trust you with what you have already, and I'll bless you. Oh, why hasn't God given us more? Well, maybe he doesn't trust you with what you got. It might be valid. Where's your treasure? Because that's where your heart is. Say, well, Pastor, I don't really like this message. Eh, I don't either sometimes because it hits home. Because I like what I got. And I like what I want. And I remind, every once in a while, God just gives us that reminder. It says, wait a minute, you got a wrong perspective here. Got to readjust. Got to reprioritize. Got to change some things up a little bit so that you can honor me with what I've given you. I don't know about you, but it challenges me to make sure that my perspective is right. Because in my flesh, it's all screwed up. In my flesh, I want the windfall. I want to get out of here and take a trip. Go some places I've never been before. Australia would be cool. I want to go there. Ireland would be cool. I wouldn't mind going there. Inner cruise on Alaska, that would be cool, right? Want, 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 want. That would be awesome, right? All in God's perspective. He's given it to us. And he... In the sub, we'll can take it all away. Just like that. So let's make sure that we're being faithful stewards of what he's entrusted to us. That we are living with a mindset to do good. To be generous. And to share. Because he's done so much for us. Right? Everything you got is because of him. You remind that in Deuteronomy. It's all his. Let's use it for his glory. Let's pray.